0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. You know how I'm always telling you guys to bet on red. Well, if you head over to BetOnline Sportsbook, you can put together a nice little parlay of Patrick Mahomes to win MVP, Kansas City to get the number one seed in the AFC, and Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, tallying together at a nice value of plus 1150. Use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V. To get a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is a fantabulous Tuesday, December 13th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It is... Our friend Walter Mitchell joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast. Walter and I have been doing shows for two years now. It's kind of crazy to think about it. Two years, not just here on the Take It Easy podcast, which the first show we did was back in November of 2020. So it has been now over two years, but also going back the previous two football seasons on the Red Rain podcast, which Walter and I do for SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds Arizona Cardinals page. The Cardinals just got done playing the New England Patriots, so there's a brand new episode out recapping the week, most likely when you're listening to this. We record it this Tuesday morning around, like, 9 o'clock Eastern time, so... If it's past noon on this Tuesday, however and whenever you might be listening, you can get Walter's thoughts on the Arizona cardinals England Patriots game and all sorts of other fantastic conversations that are in-depth Arizona Cardinals talk, and as the years have gone along, I've gotten quite interested in in-depth Arizona Cardinals talk, and we're going to have some Cardinals talk here today. We're going to talk about DeAndre Hopkins and... The Patriots Cardinals game, although we recorded before the game was played, so kind of some macro level conversations about the Patriots and Cardinals. Before we get to the show, I just want to flex a little bit because when we were recording this show, it was over the weekend. And we both had time available on our hands. We knocked out this podcast. In my mind, I was thinking, this could age a little bit poorly just because of the NFL weekend. Um, It turned out that Baker Mayfield's magical comeback for the Rams against the Raiders ended up being the biggest storyline of the weekend. I mean, we talked about it yesterday on the NFL Monday show for week 14. And how often do we get NFL Monday podcasts? In which we talk about the Thursday night football game. I've been saying all season I will not watch the Thursday night football games because of how much I have tried to maintain my healthy relationship with football by not watching bad football this season and actually doing other things with my life like reading and journaling and emotional processing, writing a book. I've tried to to maintain a healthy relationship with football now that I've graduated from school and have uh, more freedom of time on my hands. And so I've avoided the Thursday night football games altogether. And yet walking out of this week, Rams and Raiders was the game of the week. So we'll talk about that with Walter. The other parts that I felt aged really well, we're going to talk about Two topics here on the show. One is Tom Brady and his connections to the New Orleans Saints, which surprisingly, this isn't a Morgan podcast in which we're talking about Tom Brady going to the Saints, although I'm sure when we talk to Morgan, once she returns from America, Morgan from Australia went to America last week. Once Morgan returns to Australia, I'm sure we'll talk about Tom Brady going to her beloved New Orleans Saints and... What I was interested in when we talked about this with Walter is that the coming out of the weekend, there's a report, Sean Payton interested in coaching again, most probable situation is him returning to New Orleans. And Walter and I had a great conversation about that. The other part that I thought aged incredibly well is a conversation about the Stanford head coaching job. And... The Stanford head coaching job, which you'll hear me say on this show, which I want to flex again, I was following this pretty intently because I now live about three and a half blocks away from Sacramento State's campus. I live a short bike ride from Sacramento State and their football facilities, and the head coach of Sacramento State is or the the coach of Sacramento State the previous four seasons is a man named Troy Taylor. And Troy Taylor was named the head coach at Stanford over this past weekend and when Walter brings up the possibility of Cliff Kingsbury moving towards the Stanford head coaching positioning I thought it incredibly interesting because I knew that once Jason Garrett turned down the do- the job Troy Taylor was the last candidate left on uh, Stanford's board of candidates. They had reached out to Greg Roman, didn't get interest. They had interviewed Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett declined the job, and Troy Taylor was their third option over at Sacramento State. And you're going to hear me talk about Troy Taylor a little bit here on the show, but just, I want to talk about this story really quickly, because it's a local story, and I find it fascinating. At some point here, I'm going to do an in-depth Sacramento Kings one, too, because watching what has gone on with the Sacramento Kings and this regional team in the middle of a national sport like the NBA has brought me back to the FCS level where my intrigue in the FCS level stems from the dynastic reign of North Dakota state. And the fact that North Dakota state won eight championships in nine years, two of their coaches have now gone on to become conference champions at the call at the FBS level. One Craig bowl is now at Wyoming and Chris Kleiman just won the big 12 championship this year at Kansas state as former North Dakota State coaches, and yet the infrastructure remains in place. North Dakota State's put two NFL quarterbacks into the sport as top three picks in the draft. Carson Wentz in 2016 almost won an MVP his second season, and of course Trey Lance five years later was picked third overall by the 49ers, even if it's turning into a crypto pick for them, but North Dakota State is my fascination with FCS football, and I went to a school that plays in the Big Sky Conference in UC Davis, and then now live outside of Sacramento State. And what I think is super interesting about this Troy Taylor story is Sacramento State has been a terrible football team for years and years and years. And this is really interesting given the fact that Sacramento has a ridiculous talent pool of high school football players. Sacramento has a ton of great high school football players. Um, Many of them are in the NFL, Rick Armstead being one of them. Henry Toa Toa is about to be a first-round pick coming out of the Sacramento area. He's the linebacker for Alabama. And Jake Browning is a high school football legend here. He ended up starting a college football playoff game at Washington. And what is super interesting about sacramento high school football and by and large sacramento college football is that because northern california does not have a football powerhouse most of the best football players from sacramento state who are not four and five star guys like henry toa toa who's going to be a first round pick from this region he's going to go to tennessee and then transfer to alabama because he's a five-star prospect really four-and-a-half stars, but he's a top-end prospect. For the ones who are the four-star players and the three-and-a-half-star players, they go predominantly through this pipeline, and the local school for the Sacramento High School is actually Boise State, which is really interesting because that's a whole other state away, but the local colleges in the Sacramento region are Stanford, Cal, And Sacramento schools are Sac State, FCS, and UC Davis, FCS schools. And I would be fascinated if one of those schools ended up being promoted to the FBS level, got a regional television contract with, say, the Mountain West Conference, what that would look like for Sacramento football. Now, I think this is kind of a local story that I find more interesting as I've learned about this region of the country. But Sacramento State, this this guy Troy Taylor, was the high school football coach at local Folsom High School, and he coached Jake Browning, who went on to the University of Washington, again, a local pipeline to Washington from Sacramento. Oregon and Washington and Boise are the closest schools outside of the direct regional schools like Stanford, Cal, and then Sac State and UC Davis at the lower levels. And so since Stanford and Cal are both... Schools that are not super interested in being football powerhouses and Cal Berkeley recruits a lot in the Oakland area a lot of players end up going to Boise State because Boise State invests a lot of resources in the Sacramento region the head coach at UC Davis now um, is a guy named Dan Hawkins he was the original coach at Boise State and then he ended up going to Colorado it didn't work out for him but after he leaves Chris Peterson takes over at Boise and Chris Peterson goes to Washington, and Boise and Washington have this pipeline to Sacramento in which they start recruiting players through Chris Peterson, and now like 30 to 50% of Boise State's roster comes from Sacramento as the largest city with which Boise is recruiting local talent. And that's all super interesting. It's, if you want to know how Boise State has built this powerhouse that wins, you know, 80 I think it's like 89% of their games the last 10 years, comes from Sacramento and and that being their local pipeline of players. And so what I think and, and also just the Bay Area in general. There's not as much of a deep high school football feel in Northern California like San Francisco but or Oakland. But same kind of idea. So what's interesting about Troy Taylor is he is a high school football coach in the Sacramento region. He goes on to Eastern Washington as a college coordinator, offensive coordinator at the University of Washington for two or sorry, the University of Utah for two years, and then comes back to Sacramento State. And in four years, Taylor turns Sacramento State into a poor football team, and they go 27-5 and his last three years. They win three Big Sky championships. This last year, they went undefeated until they lost in the quarterfinal round. And Stanford hires him with the possibility of bringing together a pipeline of talent from Sacramento towards Stanford. And obviously Stanford's different because of academic standards and the same thing with Cal Berkeley and how they you have to be able to get into those schools and they're the type of schools that historically have not lowered their admission standards in order to compete on the football field. That's why Stanford's been so bad for so many years until David Shaw and Jim Harbaugh get there. And all of their hires post-Jim Harbaugh have been from the Jim Harbaugh tree. When you see uh, Greg Roman being connected, Greg Roman was a coordinator on Jim Harbaugh's staff at Stanford. David Shaw was uh, the lead assistant under Harbaugh. And when Harbaugh went to the NFL, they offered Shaw the job and kept Shaw in that job about like four to five years longer than most college coaches with his resume would have had. Because if you look at what happened at Wisconsin, Paul Christ made it to three consecutive Rose Bowls and three years later got fired at Wisconsin. David Shaw made it to three Rose Bowls in five years and it took six more years after the last Rose Bowl with Christian McCaffrey for David Shaw to end up getting the can. I know he he walked away from the job, um, which I think was the polite way of, you know, you haven't met up to standards and we both agree that this is the place to move on. Shaw got six years after the last Rose Bowl. So I think if the standards had been put in different places for Stanford, I and not for better or for worse. I just think it's it's different at Stanford than it is at at another comparable school like Wisconsin, who made three Rose Bowls under the previous coach. Stanford made three Rose Bowls under, of course, uh, David Shaw. big part of that was they had NFL-caliber quarterbacks. I mean, they went from Kevin Hogan, who spent years as an NFL backup, to Davis Mills, who we kind of see where Davis Mills is now as an NFL quarterback. Third-round pick, a fine quarterback— just a backup level quarterback, but having two NFL quality quarterbacks follow up Andrew Luck along with having Christian McCaffrey be a Heisman Trophy caliber player. And we've seen what Christian McCaffrey has become in the NFL. Having a super, superstar running back along with NFL caliber quarterback play and then just like decent the rest of the way. I mean, Solomon Thomas was a top five pick, but like Stanford has been a stable football team. And bringing in Troy Taylor is interesting because one, I think it was their third option. And two, Stanford is this different type of football program and trying to capitalize on the Sacramento pipeline of talent, which again is as good as some of these other hubs you could point to. I mean, look. Sacramento has the the players who go to the NFL as first round picks. You could point to a Rick Armstead. You could point to Henry Toa Toa. You could point to Jake Browning, who you know was a four star quarterback prospect, who didn't have a great NFL career. I mean, he bounced around on a couple practice squads and like probably underachieved in college, but still started a college football playoff game for the University of Washington. Like you could point to that. You could point to that and say there is those players. We're never going to stay local because national recruit... For those best players, the resources are worth the national recruiting from a Tennessee who got Toa Toa or uh, a Rick Armstead's case. He ended up going to Oregon and then played three years and then immediately went as a top 10 pick in the draft. Like This is a five-star of all five stars. Type of player when we're talking about a Rick Armstead is like, yeah, he's going to spend three years in college and then uh, he's going to get picked in the top 10. He ended up falling to 17, but the point still stands. Like a Rick Armstead is someone who is like, yeah, he's going to spend three years in college because he has to and then he's going to be a first round pick because he's a five star recruit. And so for the players who Stanford is actually going to be trying to recruit, which are the three-and-a-half to four-star guys in a Pac-12 that is now basically a mid-major conference by the definitions of what a mid-major conference used to be eight years ago. Like I said uh, in a podcast a few weeks ago, Fresno State, who won the Mountain West Championship this year, Fresno State was better than at least seven Pac-12 schools, better than Stanford, better than Cal, better than Colorado this last year, two of whom fired their coach and a third in Cal who just If they were a school other than Cal, would have fired their coach. Arizona, better than Arizona State. They play Washington State in a bowl game this year, and Fresno State's actually favored in that game. And Fresno State's better than UCLA, because last season, Fresno State went into UCLA and beat UCLA by three points. Fresno, better than seven teams in the the, the Pac-12. Also, you might notice one of the teams I didn't mention is Oregon State. If you asked me any year other than this season, for the past 15 seasons, Fresno State would be better than Oregon State. Oregon State last year lost a bowl game to Utah State. So that's eight teams right there, that's 75% of your conference. And by the way, one of the teams I mentioned, UCLA, and one who we didn't, USC, they're both about to leave the conference, and Oregon and Utah might not be far behind. So like, you subtract those teams, all you have is teams who would lose to the best Mountain West team. 70% of your conference would lose to the best Mountain West team. And so now that they're recruiting at basically a Mountain West level, and Stanford is hiring a FCS coach for what is the equivalent of a mid-major coaching job. And I know Stanford hates when people are called a mid-major, but when they're recruiting at basically a mid-major coaching job, I think it's interesting how they've decided to potentially have a person with a a connection to Sacramento high school football, the Sacramento college ranks, and again, in four years, build a team that in his second year, after a team that was 1-11 a couple years before he got there, ended up in year two winning the Big Sky Championship and by year four winning three consecutive conference championships going undefeated in the regular season. This is a coach who, by recruiting local players in Sacramento, turned this thing around almost immediately. And you're immediately going to have that possibility of success with Stanford recruiting at a mid-major level if Stanford's trying to compete as a top 25 team ain't gonna happen Stanford getting back to a bowl game within two years easy goal to hit easy goal to hit for Stanford and you can do that with just players who Taylor recruited in Sacramento by the way recruiting Sacramento combined with all those recruits that stayed home in Washington is how Washington got to a college football playoff it was keeping the the local guys local, like Buda Baker, who's now a star on Walters Arizona Cardinals, keeping Buda Baker at Washington, and then going to Sacramento and recruiting Jake Browning as your quarterback and uh, keeping, what is his name, Miles Gaskin. He's from Washington, keeping him local, and then bringing in Browning from, the, from Sacramento, which is obviously a connection to Chris Peterson recruiting at Boise. You have a situation in which you have a team that, Could make a college football playoff. There's enough talented football players in Northern California, in Washington, and along the West Coast to build a second tier football powerhouse. Oregon and USC have been doing it for years because it's a pretty large region of the country with a lot of talented players. And if you want to shrink that down a little bit, Stanford's looking at it if we're going to try and recruit along the West Coast, let's pick out this pocket of Sacramento and see if we can get some recruits in the door from a region of the country where they might go to Boise or to Washington under other circumstances. So that's my 20 minutes on Sacramento State and uh, and Stanford, and we're going to talk a little bit about that coming up on the show today. I felt like this was a good place to weave that into the show. Now, this went a little longer than I thought it would, but now we bring up the Walter Mitchell Power Hour. We're back here with another... Lil Rock and Walter Mitchell Power Hour here on the Take It Easy podcast. We're taking you uh, around the NFL with our friend, uh, the deputy editor at Revenge of the Birds, the co-host of the Red Rain podcast. So we're going to start off by talking Arizona Cardinals, of course, (laughs) in fitting fashion uh, in our NFL podcast because Walter and I do Arizona Cardinals breakdowns pretty much every week on the red rain podcast and uh, fittingly, I guess we're going to talk more Arizona Cardinals. So I'm interested, you mentioned that you were uh, talking about Deandre Hopkins in your article today. What's uh, what's got your interest peaked about the, uh, the Cardinals star wide receiver.
1: Well, it could be deja vu all over again. Um, Hopkins signed an extension with a very lucrative extension with the Cardinals. um, And in the, and he is, already received uh, the guaranteed money on that contract. He has two years remaining um, and no longer has guaranteed money heading his way, although his cap hit next year would be $30 million. I think it's $19 million in base salary. Um, uh, so Cardinals might find themselves on the <laughs> – where the Houston Texans were, um, you know, when they traded Hopkins to the Cardinals and, uh, you know, it could be more drama ahead for the Cardinals in 2023. I mean, this is a situation they would have to re- somehow resolve, um, you know, in a perfect world, Hopkins is recalcitrant, about, you know, um, costing the team six games this year for a ped violation that he contends he is innocent of um, and says he has further proof that he'll explain um, at the end of the season. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if he really thinks he screwed the Cardinals um, out of six games or not, Um, but he's been spectacular once he's come back. Um, You know, he's already – put up over 500 yards and, and, um, you know, he's just looking like vintage Deandre Hopkins. And it comes at a time timely moment for him because he's posturing for a another big time contract that as we know with wide receiver contracts skyrocketing around the NFL, um, that, uh, you know, he, he could be able to cash in again um, either with the Cardinals, if they're willing to, um, you know, extend his deal and, uh, you know, and, or if need be, if the Cardinals would have to trade him um, because the price tag might be too steep. The Cardinals also have a situation coming up with Hollywood Brown, he's scheduled to make the 5th year option next year of 13.4 million. I don't know how eager he would be to, to that's guaranteed but I don't know how eager he would be to just sit on that contract. You know, Brown has missed games for the Cardinals this year with injuries and um so, you know, I was just telling Cardinal fans in my article you might not want to sell your tickets to the next two home games. This one on on Monday night versus um, the Patriots, and then um, on Christmas uh, Day versus the Bucks. Those are the last two home games. If you want to see the New Hollywood tandem um, in action on the field at the same time, finally, last week was last game was the first time we were able to see it. And um, if you want to check out that tandem, uh, you may have at home two more. Opportunities, uh, and um, I mean, they can find a way to keep them both, and um, you know, keep everyone happy. Uh, but realistically, I just wonder if you know, um, some some movement has to take place, and uh, I'm nervous about it. And I was asking fans what what would they do, and now I'll ask the Little Rock. So put on your GM hat. Yeah. And tell us if you're the Cardinals GM, what do you do about this wide receiver situation?
0: So, I was thinking about this exact situation a few weeks ago because unless the Arizona Cardinals want to run it back with the status quo next year, which is basically the same core of the team with uh, you know, maybe adding a an offensive lineman and a corner with the I think they only have like 5 draft picks in the draft this year, but if they if they wanted to just make some picks, uh, sign some mid level free agents to one year contracts and run it back, you know that's certainly an option for sure. And if they if they were to retool, recognizing that Kylo Murray has essentially one more cheap year on his contract. I mean, next year is going to be his fifth year option and. It's you know I think only twenty three million dollars right. against the cap I think right. So basically, they have one more year before they really have to retool the roster, where you're not going to be able to keep anyone. You know that year that Kansas City just had, where uh, where Tyran Matthew, Daniel Sorensen, um, Tyreek Hill, and there's another player I'm forgetting all left in the same off season. Right. Um, and that correlates with Patrick Mahomes going from making, uh, I think it was like $15 million on the right. fifth year option to, I think like $32 million this season. Yeah. Uh, so Hopkins is the easiest to move if you want to retool on that situation. And I figured right. that out a little while ago, not just because he's in that Jimmy Garoppolo territory where it's like they could lower his cap hit by guaranteeing some of his money or they could move off of him and get all of the cap space freed up. So I right. would I, I would say in that situation, to, to, to not answer the direct question, I would say see what you can get for DeAndre Hopkins because not only is he the easiest to move financially, he also probably has yes. some trade value. I mean, I'm not sure if it's a first-round pick level of trade value, but he certainly has trade value at this point. Right. So. You could you could see what you could get for that. I have a, a specific team that I think should uh, be ne- not necessarily willing to pony up, perhaps, but uh, one team who I think should follow the Dolphins and uh, Eagles model and use their their infinite resource or their their excess of resources this offseason to get NFL level players um, and surround a quarterback that maybe people have the same opinion of right now as to and Jalen Hurts a couple of years ago. Uh, that would be the Detroit Lions if they wanted to uh, to make a similar type strategy of not forcing the quarterback pick and giving Goff a star receiver and signing a bunch of people and drafting defense with their two top 15 picks. Yep. Um, that that would be my, that would be a match made in heaven. I don't know if Hopkins would want to play in Detroit or how much say he would have in that situation, but that's one that's a possibility. Um, but From a Cardinals standpoint, I I think you just see what you can get. And, I mean, it might be – it would be disappointing if Hopkins and Hollywood Brown never played any meaningful football games together at the same time, given that was the whole point of that trade. But, uh, you know, I I think in the long run you can see some benefits to that because you saved $30 million. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins is certainly an excellent wide receiver, still one of the 15 to 20 best in the NFL – I mean, some. I think you could go up to top ten even, and uh, yes, it's just there's so many different scenarios you could play out there. But if it would behoove the Cardinals to at least keep all options on the table.
1: Yeah, well, Hopkins has a no trade clause, so he would have to approve um, of whatever trades come, you know, are offered to the Cardinals. so he may dictate i was thinking your charges because that um, would be
0: interesting
1: he lives in la the cardinals won't trade him to the rams (laughs) that's for sure Um, (laughs) i don't
0: think the rams are in that market (laughs) the rams the rams are subtracting oh they would be
1: but you know um but if he wanted to stay home in L.A., the Chargers would make a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, Justin Herbert there. I don't know if they could afford him with Williams and, and uh, you know, Keenan Allen. Or I don't know what their, their cap situation is. But uh, I think if he could orchestrate a trade, that'd probably be high on his list to go to L.A. But um, go back home. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but um, but, yeah, I mean. Uh you should hear what you know if there was ever tampering, um, you know, sort of legal tampering. Here's what Bill Belichick put out there about DeAndre Hopkins in you know, um on the eve of playing on Monday night. Here's what he said. He's got tremendous ball skills, he catches everything, has great hands, and he's long, so he's never covered. Even if he's covered, there's a place where the ball can be that he can get it and still make the catch. Great coordination on the sidelines. He really doesn't really look it, look but he's a strong kid in terms of creating se- separation on routes, yards after contact, tough yards, like around the goal line or that extra yard for a first down. Then he continues. He's a very smart football player, very savvy but his ball skills are at the very elite level with guys that I've seen in this league he's up there with whoever the top guys are the Chris Carters of the world and guys like that he's every bit as good as anybody I've ever coached against from the goat that's pretty pretty high praise <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, even even if he's not the offensive guru guy, and uh, even if that's a blind spot, he knows when he can see an unguardable receiver. Which I still I'm still amazed by the stat that DeAndre Hopkins went three and a half seasons without dropping a pass. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's right. incredible right. how good prime DeAndre Hopkins was from from you know 2017 to really like 2015 until like 2020. Brian Deion, Jarrett Hopkins was incredible. It'd make a whole lot of sense for the Patriots, especially because they've got cap space, draft capital, and uh, they are headed on a collision course for a fourth consecutive season of having a bottom 12 offense in the NFL. So uh, certainly they need anything they can get offensively. So uh, I I think that it would behoove them to make a move, especially if your theory of Cliff Kingsbury becoming the offensive coordinator in
1: New England were to, to come to fruition this off-season too. Yeah. I mean, well, that, that. I, I just agreed with you on the podcast we just had in Red Rain that when you asked the question is that, you know, could you see Cliff go into New England? I think in a New York minute he would. Um, and I think they would welcome him. Um, you know, uh, Cliff and, you know, the GOAT drafted Cliff got Cliff interested in coaching. They've had a long time relationship. Uh, Belichick has brought Cliff numerous times to um, Foxborough for, to have X and O sessions. Um, As you pointed out, um, Josh McDaniels and the Patriots and Bill Belichick adopted many kind of K raid notions into their offense with Brady and now with, uh, with Mac Jones. Um, So, So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, Cliff would be wanted in in New England, and the question would be whether he would take that or go back to college for one of the plum college jobs that would ironically probably make him more money per annum um, (laughs) than than his Cardinals gig. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking And it would certainly –
0: I was going to say, would certainly help the job. Cardinals get on great. out there. I don't, yeah. I don't want him to take the Stanford job because you know who the the front runner for the Stanford job is now that Jason Garrett's out. It's a, uh, it's a really cool story going on. Uh, literally two miles away from where I live, over at Sac State, uh, there's there's a guy named Troy Taylor, who's uh, he's from Sacramento. He was a high school coach, and um, I don't know if you remember uh, Jake Browning. He was a quarterback at Washington. Washington, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So he coached Jake Browning in high school, and then uh, he went to Eastern Washington as a coordinator. He went to he was the offensive coordinator at the University of Utah. Yeah, and then uh, came back home to Sac State. In his three years at Sac State, they're twenty nine and five. They've got their first ever quarterfinal playoff game today, and now he's the front runner for the Stanford job. So I'm hoping that Troy Taylor gets the Stanford job instead of uh, our buddy Cliff Kingsbury, because it's literally down the street. I could walk outside my apartment and basically see Sacramento State. So it'd be it'd be cool if Troy Taylor ended up getting the Stanford job. I don't know if he's going to get it now that Stanford, you know, tried to get Greg Roman, tried to pursue Jason Garrett. Now it looks like. Uh, Troy Taylor's the front runner there, but I, what happened I want with him Garrett? to get the job. <laughs> yeah. What happened with Garrett? Uh, Garrett chose to stay at NBC. He put out this big tweet yesterday. It was like, thanks to Stanford and the athletic director, I'm going to stay at NBC and do Sunday night football and Notre Dame football broadcasting. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Pulled himself um, out of consideration for the Stanford job. That's interesting. Yeah. That tells me they have their sights high. You know, if they're going after Garrett and Roman, you know, they want a a big name.
0: Yeah, but the only other name left that's, I mean, maybe they'll interview more people or pursue someone else, but there were only three names that were thrown out and it was Roman, Garrett and, uh, and Taylor. And Taylor's confirmed as much that he's, uh, that he's been uh, he's been um, reached out to for the job, and uh, they haven't oh, offered it to anyone. But those are the only names that are associated with it. So I'm hoping that he gets it. But obviously Stanford can pivot to hire someone else in the cycle. It's not like they yeah they can't go hire anyone at this point.
1: Uh, well, it sounds you know. like Taylor's on a fast track somewhere, so mm-hmm. it'll be good to keep an eye on. And if he gets the Stanford gig. If- could be a cinderella story
0: yeah would be cool (laughs) the ironic thing is that he's a cal berkeley guy so he's actually going to the rival school because it's the job that would be
1: open at this point up the street well that's a plum job certainly certainly so so that's my my
0: rooting interest i think if if cliff were to become available i think stanford would definitely uh Pursue it. And the Cardinals would probably write in some offset language in the deal, kind of like what happened with Matt Rule, where it's like, we're going to subtract whatever you make in your next job as part of your buyout situation in order to go pursue whatever the next job is.
1: Well, that's kind of standard procedure. Yeah. Anyway, so, yes. I mean, it could cancel out. I mean, if he was making more at Stanford or equal. It basically, we can't, you know, he'd agree to that. It would cancel out.
0: At least part of the buyout. I don't know what his Cardinals buyout is going to look like because, uh, I, I don't think the details of his contract extension are public. So I don't know what, the, no. uh, right. I don't know what the details would be on that, but right. we'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm actually, I might actually be interested in watching the whole Monday night game instead of, uh, Popping in on the Cardinals on the Red Zone channel, like uh, I, lo- I do a bunch of times, I might yeah. actually uh, stick around for that game. Because
1: yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting game. I mean, Belichick versus Kingsbury. The you know the Apprentice. Um, they had a great game. You and I have talked about a lot. <laughs> in Foxborough a couple years ago. with the You mean the most infamous... mind-blowing
0: defensive play call I've ever right. seen on letting Cam Newton –
1: well, first I mean, of all,
0: calling the timeout. To, yeah, to you wanted to fire to Cliff then. <laughs> I didn't want to fire Cliff because I think that was either his first year, the pandemic year, the, the second yeah. season, but – I said at the time, it's the most mind-blowing – I mean, until Nathaniel Hackett's weird play call against the Seahawks week one this year. But uh, before that, it was the most mind-blowing mismanagement of the clock I had seen. Well, I'm going to reiterate
1: that he did it the game before and they won. Yeah. He did the same thing. So he thought if they could get the ball back, you know, call timeout. There'd be enough time. Yeah, up.
0: I I think it was the play before that that I was surprised with the clock. The one that was just like, of course, on third and 15, you think you're going to get the ball back. But uh, then right. you, you leave the entire left side of the field open. Cam Newton runs for 18 yards, and you get a 15-yard late hit out of bounds. Correct. And all of a sudden, they're in field goal range.
1: Yep. All right, let's not go back there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so monday night yes. it'll be a new new chapter um but it's going to be an interesting game of strategies and you know i'll be interested to see how mac jones does uh for the patriots and their offense run heavy offense uh and uh you know the patriots defense is top 10 this year so you know and belichick has had 12 days to prepare for for the Cardinals offense so and with his ability to con- confuse quarterbacks it could be interesting. So
0: so for years now I've said the most the great, like the most impressive thing about Bill Belichick the last few seasons is that going back to even Brady's last season in New England so 2019 2020 2021 and now 2022 they're going to finish bottom 12 in the NFL in offensive rating for the fifth consecutive or for the fourth consecutive season. The fact that they've made the playoffs twice in those three seasons, including winning a division title is incredibly impressive to have an offense that consistently poor and to still be able to make the playoffs twice is incredible and a testament to those defenses they've built. This year is just ridiculous. (laughs) The fact that they just took guys who got cut by the Giants and Dolphins and are turning them all into stars is just ridiculous. (laughs) I, I was watching the Thursday night game against the Vikings and when they do the player intros, they put the, the pro football focus grades up on the screen now. And it was oh, wow. like, Rayquan McMillan, 6th-ranked linebacker. Jabril Peppers, 14th-ranked safety. Uh, Jones, who's the number one corner who replaced J.C. Jackson, is ranked in the top 10. I'm just like, all these dudes right. got cut by not-great teams last season, and right. Belichick slid them in. Jabril Peppers was awful on the Giants, and now all of a sudden, he's a top safety in New England.
1: This year, it's just...
0: It's ridiculous how Belichick is building out that
1: defense. Yeah, Matthew Judon has been fantastic on the off that edge and they got a couple horses up front with yes, God. Judon, Show.
0: Judon's the one guy I can say that dude is that's that's a guy who could who would be a stud on any team. Judon and you could put him on any team in the league and that guy would be impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's pivot. To talk about Cinderell stories the epic Baker Mayfield been there for 20 for 40 hours pulling off the miracle win last night your thoughts
0: Oh Raiders oh Raiders <laughs> <laughs> I, all the statistics back up this year's Raiders team is better than last year's Raiders team and it's an incredible uh, it was an incredible thought experiment a few weeks ago where it's remember when the Raiders were uh, I think it was like two and six to start the season. Uh, they had a better expected win loss percentage than last year's Raiders team that went 10 and seven. And they're actually this year scoring more points per game than last year's Raiders team. It's only by like one. Uh, their their offensive rating is about the same between 17 and 18 is the difference between this year and last year's team. This year's defense is slightly worse than last year's team, but it's not by that much. I think last year they were like 26th and this year they're ranked 30th in scoring defense. Uh, so the Raiders are basically the same team this year and last year. The only difference is last year they were like 7-1 one in one-score games and this year they're like 1-6 one in one-score games that's basically the entire difference between last year's Raiders team and this year's Raiders team. So it's a testament to just how small the margins are in the NFL in terms of Baker Mayfield. That was cool, right? <laughs> the Rams <laughs> the Rams can't even tank because their draft picks go into Detroit. So that was, that was super cool. I didn't watch it last night. I woke up this morning and saw the highlights of the comeback, <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool that uh that was a, a pretty remarkable win for uh for, for the rams uh, i'm taking this stat from someone who who uh shout out jason ross he works at our uh, our radio station um so there's only been two times in nfl history where a quarterback has come in off the bench thrown for over 200 yards two touchdowns and led a 13 or more point comeback Obviously, one of them was Baker Mayfield yesterday. Uh, The second one was Baker Mayfield's first ever start for Cleveland against the Jets. His first (laughs) ever game. So, Baker's first game and his most recent game are the only times it's ever happened in NFL history.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You gotta hand it to him. I tell you, I I couldn't believe it myself. I fell asleep at halftime and um, woke up like you did to the news that, oh, my goodness, you're kidding. A 98-yard drive, touchdown drive. Um, yeah, I mean, those are two games, you know, the Cardinals game, and now this one are two games late, late, just collapses by the Raiders, um, you know, the, in epic fashion. Uh, I think they've had four
0: this year. I think the Raiders have blown four double-digit second-half leads this season. Oh, I'm trying to four? remember wow. what the other ones were. Wow. Yeah, I'm so. pretty sure it's four. I'm trying to remember what the other ones are now, but I'm pretty sure they've they've had four of these uh, collapse type of games. I think they're now one in six in one-score games this season, which is. Which is pretty rough. I mean, they, they did, in fairness, they did win those overtime games against the Broncos and the Seahawks. So, maybe that number's a little bit higher now. But, uh, um, oh, the Kansas City game on Monday night, they were up, I think, 17 to, was it, what was the score in that game? I, they were up big for a long time in that game. And then they lost 30 to 29. Uh, and then, obviously, the Cardinals game. And then, uh, I think, sh- is it? Yeah, Jacksonville game. They were up seventeen zero against the Jaguars and lost by seven points. They've had four four double digit blown leads this season.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's rough. Um, they they've certainly have talent, and um, you know yeah. i I was thinking last night too. It was like, oh wow, this is pretty cool. that You know, the Raiders are peaking now, and could get it to six and seven, but no, more like nope. f- five and eight. <laughs> yeah, um, no, this this
0: one's just about done for the Raiders, which, in fairness, is probably closer than we thought they were going to be. Because when they were, uh, I think it was like three and three and six and going to overtime against the Broncos, <laughs> I think we were all kind of looking up like, "Oh, this is uh, this is not a great team." But uh, the Raiders. I, the Raiders, I would just maintain the status quo at this point. You already went all in the way you did. Obviously the Chandler Jones contract is, uh, is not great, but uh, if I were the Raiders, I'd just maintain the status quo. I don't know how that works with Derek Carr's contract, but uh, I'm just from the Raiders, I'm not doing anything dramatic this off season.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny around Josh McDaniels, unfortunately for a second time, but his predecessor had, you know, took him several years as a head coach. I mean, his, his mentor, um, Bill Belichick. I mean, we were talking the other day. I mean, when, when the, when the Patriots traded a first rounder to the jets, I mean, Bill Belichick as a head coach did not have a winning record to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, but it just goes to show right place, right time, right thing, the experience, you know, the more you do it, the 10,000 hour rule by Malcolm Gladwell, um, you know, you get the right system in place and, and, uh, you know, right ownership, um, right support and right quarterback. <laughs> um, which to Belichick's credit early on, he showed a lot of faith in Brady and Brady delivered. I mean, he took some risks there with, you know, playing him in front of Bledsoe at times. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, but so next year is going to be assuming they hold on to Josh McDaniels next year is going to be a very important season for him. And they play in a division that's really tough. So, you know um pressure's gonna be on. <laughs> you brought up uh, the the Belichick first
0: round pick trade again and uh, during the during that pandemic year, I did a full research show because we were trying to find stuff to do and I did it on that Belichick uh, one day with the jets situation. <laughs> That's one of the great stories in NFL history, man. like the so basically Belichick was coaching under Bill Parcells. And for those who don't know, Bill Parcells coached the Patriots to the Super Bowl with Drew Bledsoe and then left to go coach the Jets, Yeah, which seems wild that he would leave the Patriots to go coach the Jets, especially after the Patriots went to the Super Bowl. But he did that. He took the Jets to the AFC Championship game, and then the Patriots wanted to hire Belichick, who is the, the lead assistant behind Parcells, and just purely out of spite. Bill Parcells retired just so Bill Belichick couldn't go to the Patriots just purely to spite the Patriots. Bill Parcells retired and named Belichick the coach. And then Belichick walked in the first day and was like, nope, I am out of here. He talked in that documentary they did with the two Bills where he had a ton of anxiety about taking the Jets job. And he was like, nope, I'm good. I don't want to work for these owners. I don't want to work for this team. Get me to New England. And he just resigned. It's one of the most insane stories, regardless of the fact that Bill Belichick went on to become the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. Just just absolutely insane. And uh, Bill Parcells didn't take the job back after that. He he didn't take the job back after uh, after Belichick left. It just left the Jets in disarray for like, Twenty five years, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> say except for those two weird Rex Ryan seasons. Basically, twenty five years. Those <laughs> it's uh, with a two year break in between. Twenty five years of futility.
1: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's yeah. It's a well, great story. Yep, and now you have the Sean Payton situation in NOLA. So yeah, um, that's gonna be someone's gonna have to pony up a draft pick or two to land that cat. I, I don't think anyone's going to do it just because I don't think
0: this is the situation that I think, I don't think there's a perfect match of team to coach that's going to exist in this hiring cycle. So I, I think Sean McVit, I think Sean Payton is going to be in the broadcast booth or in the studio desk again next season. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a match that's going to work out where the team would be willing to pony up, and Peyton would be willing to coach that team. I don't think there's going to be a perfect scenario for him unless he just really wants to get back into coaching and is willing to take a job beneath him. Other than that, I don't think I don't think there's going to be a match this off season.
1: Oh well, uh, that's interesting. I feel confident there will be. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, Peyton's got a nice TV gig if that's what he wants, but I don't think that, that is what he wants. And you know, I think there's still a possibility he could just say, you know, go back to the Saints. Um, this you know, is, and this is
0: complicated. This is complicated because have you been following what's happening with Disney? right now and um, what's happened with uh, the CEO who replaced Bob Iger and now two and a half years later, Bob Iger is back as the CEO of Disney. Um, it's it's kind of convoluted because the saints are trying to move on. The problem is that the future doesn't look very bright for the saints. It looks like it's gonna be like four or five years before this ship gets turned around. Just cause they, they left themselves in such a gigantic hole when Drew Brees and Sean Payton left that yep. I don't think, I don't think Sean Payton coming back fixes it. I don't think that that's going to fix what's wrong with the saints. Cause the problem with the saints is that they, they put themselves in salary cap hell and then traded their first round pick last year to get Trevor Penning, which has been, I think, fine so far. I haven't really been following Penning that closely. Uh, but I, I think the Saints are years away from quote unquote riding the ship, and I don't think that that's a something that Sean Payton can come in and immediately fix. So I, well, I, think, I think they, they should they, just ride it out.
1: I mean, I think they have uh, they have a excellent defense. So I mean that having that on their side is huge. What they don't have you know, for Sean Payton's liking is the, is the quarterback. So, you know, if, if there's a guy that, that Payton thinks they can get that he's really could be happy with, I mean, I don't think that, uh, you know, um, that they would hold him back from coming back and, You know, put Allen back as DC defensive coordinator, right? So, yeah. I mean, um, the question is quarterbacks. I mean, is there a quarterback out there? You know, Sean Payton. I mean, uh, what about trading Kyler Murray to New Orleans? Um. Wow, didn't think about that. But New Orleans. As long as the
0: Cardinals oh,
1: huh? New Orleans doesn't have a first round pick, huh?
0: No. That's what I was gonna say. If you'd like deferred draft picks, then it would work out because they have draft picks in the future. And players they could trade. I mean right. the Saints the Saints probably more rich in terms of player capital, which they've slowly started trading away. I mean, they were considering they were seriously considering trading Alvin Kamara at the trade deadline. We know that. They were they were working out details with uh, I think Philadelphia among one of the teams, but they wanted their first round pick back from Philadelphia in exchange for Alvin Kamara, yeah. and uh, that wasn't something Philadelphia was willing to do because at the time I think it was a top ten pick that the Saints had. Right, but I mean they traded Chauncey Gardner Johnson. They they would trade Michael Thomas if they could. By the way, I'm one of the things I've been the most egregious about, Sean Payton ruined that man's career. Sean Payton ruined <laughs> Michael Thomas' career, and that's uh, that's a real disappointment because of how good Michael Thomas was the how last did he, season. How did he career. ruin it? So in 2019 was the year that sh- that Michael Thomas broke the, uh, the receptions record yeah. with Drew Brees. The following season, which was 2020, which was Drew Brees' last season and... Uh, the year that they were expected to be like hundred million dollars over the cap, but then that went down because they, Drew Brees did them. A, Drew Brees did them a solid and basically removed all the cap hits on the deal, so it wasn't as bad. But they right. went all in on that twenty twenty season, and the first week of the season, they were playing Tampa, and that was uh, that was Brady's first game with the Bucks. And if you remember, they they blew them out in that game. It was like thirty eight to seven or whatever mm-hmm. it was in Brady's first game. And with a four-touchdown lead, Sean Payton left Michael Thomas in the game, and Michael Thomas broke his leg and then played through that entire season with a broken leg, oh, and yeah. he hasn't played meaningful football since, pretty much. I mean, he missed all of last season. He played five games this year before right. he went out for the year. Played through an entire season with a broken leg, so he was a lesser version of himself. And uh <laughs> I mean, we've never seen Michael Thomas be the same player. We've never really seen him play much, but he's certainly never been the same player since that
1: moment. Yeah, good point. Very excellent point. Um, that's unfortunate. You know, That could happen to anyone. I mean, I know in Arizona, Larry Fitzgerald never wanted to come off the field, no matter what the score was. So, you know, sometimes you have to let the players play. And um, I agree, though. I think it's time. There's times to protect your players that you have to step in and say, no, no, but we want to just protect you for next week. So but here's a scenario for you that you might not have considered is, you know, the the rumor was that uh, Peyton was going to the Dolphins with Tom Brady. Yes. How about coming back to the Saints? Guess who's a free agent? (laughs) <laughs> right I mean with not that the account, craziest
0: man, idea in the world I'm going to say not the craziest idea in the world bro. Uh, and you know Brady I've,
1: will take a, a hometown discount you've got um, you've got Chris Olave who's emerging as one of the best receivers in the NFL even as a rookie you've mm-hmm. got Alvin Kamara I mean you still have Michael Thomas there. You still have you have some weapons there that already ingrained.
0: And you have a good offensive line. <laughs> You've got Ryan Ramchek. You've right. got Cesar Ruiz. You've right. got something there that I got. A, not the craziest idea in the world. And uh, right, yeah, I, no, I I could totally see that happening. I could totally see Brady yeah. going for that. Part of it is I can't figure out where Brady's going to go next season. <laughs> That's that's part of it. I don't I don't see a match similar to Peyton. That might that might be the best of both worlds for everyone. I actually think that might be a great idea.
1: Right. Well, they can't do it in Miami, mm-hmm. um, unless Miami, you know, fires McDaniel. Or no, McDaniel. no. Miami,
0: Miami fell back. <laughs> Miami fell backwards into the most sustainable option <laughs> by by being terrible at scheming. Miami fell backwards right. into an incredible option. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right so and then you have um san francisco uh as a potential for brady but you know i mean jimmy g's probably not going to go back to san francisco he'll be a free agent mm-hmm. um you know and i'll be interested to see where he lands next year uh particularly after his strong showing this year it's just too bad it, you know, he had the foot injury. But, uh, but, you know, Brady in San Francisco, although it sounds romantic, I don't know what they do with Trey Lance. Do they trade him? Um,
0: no. You know,
1: no. they like Brock Purdy. Um, I mean, but the thought of Brady, I mean, put it this way, if, you know, now they're kind of their chances of winning at all have diminished somewhat with uh, now playing a rookie quarterback. Um, Looks to be like maybe they missed the boat on claiming Baker or trying to trade for Baker.
0: I got to be honest. I disagree on on this point, which is Brock Purdy can lead the 49ers to a championship and only the 49ers. Could that ever be a situation? Because, the 49ers have five pro bowlers on offense and five pro bowlers on defense. And as long as Brock Purdy gives them 20 for 30, 210 yards, one touchdown and one interception, I've seen Garoppolo win multiple playoff games without throwing a pass for 90 minutes. So uh, I think they still have a good puncher's chance. Uh, Um, All right.
1: But yeah, if let's say, you know, Purdy does not prevail and they lose, you know, in the playoffs somewhere, Um, you know, now they're looking at their QB room and wondering, you know, we've got this made to order team. What we're missing is a quarterback then. And Brady could come home to, you know, the Bay area, um, where he grew up a 49ers fan as a Joe Montana fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All those stars could align right there.
0: Yes, it is a very romantic notion and also makes literally zero practical football sense.
1: <laughs> Why? What First do you of mean? All, if
0: you're going to, if, huh?
1: Brady's uh, all about rings. He's got oh, a main Brady's all
0: about team. rings. Um, if he, if he doesn't get along well with Bruce Arians, him and Kyle Shanahan are going to kill each other. <laughs> him and kyle shanahan are going to kill each other uh that's one part but the other part is if you're going to go if you're going to bail on trey lance if you're going to say we put all our money in on cryptocurrency and we're just going to bail on the trey lance experiment then just garoppolo does the brady thing better than brady does at this point i would just stick with garoppolo if you're going to do it that way i'd take garoppolo over brady at this stage of his career The the whole season, the evidence has been pointing to... Garoppolo's been doing the Brady thing better than Brady this year. Brady scored 20 points. This is more a byproduct of the running game. I'm not saying, like, it's all Brady's fault, but Brady statistically has been the equivalent of Kirk Cousins this year, and Jimmy Garoppolo has been 17 touchdowns, four interceptions, which is really not... The touchdowns aren't that impressive. It's the interceptions that helps them out, is that they're not letting Garoppolo make mistakes. But... I mean, I could be swayed either way. I'm not saying it's definitive. I'm saying if you're giving me the choice between Garoppolo and Brady, I'd probably go Garoppolo if you're just doing it for one season. But I, if you're doing it for one season, it's more likely to be Brady. But, I mean, just the oh Garoppolo my goodness. thing is fine. I can't believe you're saying that. I can't I mean, either. Let's just, I I'm not let's just good, count I'm the sure. rings.
1: How many rings does Brady have? Brady Seven. is
0: 46 year old years old and putting up. Kirk Cousins numbers this season the Bucks have only scored the Bucks have only scored 20 points I think twice the entire season and zero times in the last six weeks and
1: yeah it's, but Brady doesn't have the, Trent Williams
0: I, and I Mike know McGlinchey. Brady would look better I know Brady would look better but the system the systems don't mesh and Shanahan and Brady don't mesh and I'm not saying it won't work out I mean Tom Brady's proven it wrong over and over again it just logistically doesn't make sense to me why the 49ers would want it like Brady wouldn't be my first choice at this stake in the game for picking a 49ers quarterback and I mean it this is all assuming you want to just give up on Trey Lance because they have no idea what Trey Lance is there's another
1: way to look at it is have Trey Lance learn from the goat. Um, you know, and, and there'll be times when they can play Lance, you know, uh, in a, you know, in runaway games and they might, might even be able to incorporate a, a package for him for, for games, you know, and imagine learning from the goat the way for, um, uh, Aaron Rodgers learned from Brett Favre. Um, you know, there there could be really real value in that and but, but um, why are we
0: trading Trey Lance like he's Jordan Love? Why why are we doing that at this point with Trey Lance when the job was his at the start of the season and he's only played five football games in the last four seasons. So unless you're acknowledging that you were wrong to take him, which I don't know how they can make that conclusion. I don't know why all of a sudden this guy who you picked number three overall over Justin Fields and gave up three first round picks to acquire. I don't know why all of a sudden we're treating him like Jordan love, unless we're already giving up on the experiment. Like, if like the, the thing that would make the most sense based on their previous decisions is it's Lance's team. We're giving him the keys and he's the starter immediately next season. Like there's no, right. if there's no right. Tom Brady, there's no Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. There's no anything like that. The, old, the the way that would change is I acknowledge if you don't believe in that anymore, you, I mean, they could, they could put him in the backup spot, but All decision-making up to this point has led to we are giving him the keys and it's his team for the next three seasons.
1: Well, I mean, I think that with Trey Lance, he's still a relative unknown. Um, With Tom Brady, he's a known – you know, he's he's a goat, so – and I'm just saying, be- looking at this as a one-year all-in. Now that we have this, you know, like just juggernaut juggernaut lineups on both sides of the ball, give yourself the best chance you can to. If they don't cash in this year, which I think the odds of them doing that now, um, you know, um, are uh, pretty slim um one would imagine i mean the playoffs you need you need uh they'll give you the good defense but you also need to put up you know you need good quarterbacking and look what burrow did last year um to get him. 49ers
0: made <laughs> 49ers made a super bowl and an nfc championship with a not great jimmy Garoppolo and I I can't believe I said out loud that I think they would rather go Garoppolo than Brady at this stage of the game. But I think I believe I think the evidence backs it up, and I can't believe I'm saying that because I I'm not a Jimmy Garoppolo proponent at all. I was saying last year they should have started Trey Lance the first game of the season and just moved off Garoppolo at that point. But I <laughs> if you're gonna just bail on Trey Lance altogether, then I the evidence suggests you. I mean. The evidence suggests you'd be better off going game manager guy who listens to his coaches versus game manager guy who's smarter than his coaches, which is not exactly the most profound analysis in the world. But yeah, I, I think Tom Brady would be much happier and better served going to San Francisco personally. I don't know why San Francisco would sign up for it other than the romance of it all.
1: All right, well, to be determined, TBD. We'll yeah, see and- what happens. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating. I also think that a Peyton Brady in New Orleans scenario could, could be fascinating. Um, I don't get the sense that Brady wants to give it up yet, particularly now that he's divorced. Um, and, uh, you know, he's free to play as much as he wants. Um, I think he's been largely, uh, disappointed this year with the state of the, of what's going on in Tampa. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't see them advancing very far in the playoffs. Do you? Uh, the thing I've said pretty consistently about
0: them is it's Tom Brady in a top five defense. So, like you never know; <laughs> it's happened before. But yeah, you know, I, I agree. They're 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 incapable of scoring twenty points, and if their defense wasn't third best in the NFL, they would have no chance. They would be a terrible well, team this
1: season. Put that Cowboys um, pass rush up against Brady. Good luck. Mm-hmm.
0: Good this luck this year good with that luck. with their offensive line. You know. Yeah, again, Tom. Like I said, Tom Brady has been the best part of Tampa Bay's offense this season. It's almost indisputable, and he's he's the fifteenth ranked passer in the NFL according to Pro Football Focus grades. <laughs> he's he's basically Kirk Cousins, and that's the best part of Tampa's offense this season is Tom Brady putting up the same statistics as Kirk Cousins. That is, uh, by the way, this is Kirk Cousins' worst season since two thousand fourteen. So this is. Uh, This has been a rough year for Tampa, but this is your thing about one foot in, one foot out. Like Tom Brady retired, got the coach fired, and came back only in negotiations with the Glazers. Like this was all doomed to fail from the very beginning. It's just now that all the injuries have piled up, the record looks like it's failing. But yeah, their, their defense also is the best rushing defense of the last five years. So that's uh, it's a nice little thing to make. That's, that's a nice little life raft to have when you're Tom Brady is he can win games 17 to 16.
1: Yeah, well, any way you can get him
0: Yeah, it's just uh, like you said, I think they'll lose to the Cowboys in the playoff, but it's not out of the question. They will lose to someone. I don't know who it's going. There's no chance they can win the championship, but they will they will get exposed by someone. I just don't know who that someone is. Yeah. Uh but I'm with you. The 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 runaway defensive player of the year, Micah Parsons, certainly poses a problem.
1: Well, they're gonna get a home game and it'll be against one of the wild cards.
0: Mm-hmm. So And uh, it's gonna it's probably gonna be the fifth wild card too. So either Dallas or Philadelphia.
1: Right. So right off the bat, you got to try to get through that one. Um, and then from there, they won't have a home game, more than likely. Um, yeah, If, if they their... win a
0: single playoff game this year, it would be incredibly remarkable, I will say that. If they do win a – if they make it to the second round of the playoffs, that would be right. remarkable because if that team were in the AFC, they would be out of – they would be the Raiders at this point. They would be out of it with nothing to play for. It would be – Yeah. It would be remarkable if they do win a playoff game. But they have an elite defense. There's a chance that if they play the Eagles, the best unit on the field will be the Tampa defense. And uh, that's really interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Yep. So what else is on your football mind these days?
0: Uh, I have been – I mean, other than other than Kansas City and Buffalo, which uh, is both – I've been trying to avoid bad football this season. It's just a healthier mindset for myself is avoiding bad football. But uh, I've also been – I've been way, way obsessed with Buffalo. And uh, Baltimore losing Lamar Jackson hurts a lot. But those are – man, Buffalo is the most fascinating team to me because – for all the talk about me setting expectations in the right place, Buffalo's expectations have to be: you need to win a championship this season because they're in the last year of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs being on cheap contracts, right? Relatively speaking, uh, they go for. I think they only make a. I looked this up a little while ago. They make a combined thirty-two million dollars this year between yep. the two of them. I think that number goes up to like 53 next year against the cap. So they got, they got to win this year with the current core of that team. They they need to win this season. And uh, I think they're the most talented team in the NFL health permitting. Um, even though their their record their record shows that they're you know kind of lumped together with Kansas City and with Baltimore and with Miami, I look at Buffalo. I'm like at full strength. That team is like two games better than anyone else in the AFC. So they they really need to win this season.
1: Yeah, well, they they got to get hot at the right time, and it could be another epic Mahomes Allen showdown at some point
0: mm-hmm.
1: that could be fun to watch then there's a I guy named anything- joe burrow you gotta deal with man i really yeah. like that kid burrow wow what a gutsy player you know there's a there's a really interesting
0: scenario that if you keep your eyes peeled on the afc north is about to come down the stretch so you know how um you know how Lamar Jackson's kind of like week to week now for Baltimore at this point with the knee injury? Yeah. And uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore currently have the same record uh, right. at eight and four. Baltimore has uh, the tiebreaker as things stand because they beat Cincinnati earlier in the season. Uh, Baltimore's got a relatively easy schedule. I don't remember the games in front of me, but then I remember Cincinnati's got like a gauntlet of a schedule left the rest of the season. <laughs> Um, yeah. they I think I think like uh four their last four games are all against teams above five hundred, including Buffalo and Kansas City. Yep. Uh yeah, they also have the Patriots. They play the they play the Bucks, Patriots, Bills <laughs> the last few weeks of the season. But we're headed for a pretty clear-cut scenario in which the Ravens play the Bengals the last week of the season. Yeah. And Because Miami and Buffalo look like they're headed towards one winning the division and one getting the five seed, that Ravens-Bengals week 17 game, or week 18, is setting up for winner gets home field advantage in a six versus three rematch the next week between the Ravens and Bengals. (laughs) (laughs) There is a very real scenario where these two teams are going to play in back-to-back weeks when the playoffs come around. And uh, if you look at their rankings this year, Baltimore has the number six ranked offense and Cincinnati has the number seven ranked offense and Baltimore has the number nine ranked defense and Cincinnati has the number 11 ranked defense. So even though they do things very differently – they are statistically basically the same team this season. I can't think of a more even matchup right now than Baltimore with Lamar Jackson at full strength versus Cincinnati. Right. And we might get it back-to-back weeks, one in week 18, one in the wild card round. Right. It's incredible how that's broken down in the yeah. schedule. Yeah, that can happen.
1: Fascinating. Yeah. Yep, so I, I love it. Yeah, that AFC is wild and woolly, boy.
0: Yeah, they've got at least five of the eight best teams in the NFL and four – I think the four best teams in the NFL, other than uh, maybe San Francisco sliding in there. I think Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore, and Miami are might be the four best teams in the NFL, if not four of the five best teams in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. Miami, like Miami, the expectation this year is let's win our first playoff game in 22 years. If my, if Miami gets a playoff game against the Titans, and they can beat Tennessee, who fired their GM in what seems like a really short-sighted decision this week, if they do that, man, oh, the Dolphins, you got to be celebrating that. If after all this, they end up breaking their playoff drought, that would be pretty incredible.
1: Wow. Yeah, no doubt. Yes fascinating yep and uh, yeah I think the uh, NFC is wide open I could see a yep. number of scenarios whoever can stay healthiest um, you know to uh, get it done even one of those wildcard teams if they get hot at the right time um mm-hmm. You know, so, but yeah, I think the Garoppolo injury compounds things there, makes things even more interesting because up until that point, it looked like the Niners were going to, you know, move to the head of the class. Um, But those Eagles are pesky and very well rounded. And then you have the Vikings who keep winning. There's, uh, yeah, I did a shout out to Cardinal, ex Cardinal Jordan Hicks, linebacker. Um, consecutive years of being on ten and two teams after twelve games, Cardinals <laughs> last year <laughs> and Vikings this year. Um, that's a lot of winning. That's twenty and four. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. Um that's that's almost Kansas City Chiefs levels of winning. Yeah, yep. Yeah and uh yes yeah, so i mean i the vikings you know they have to they're they're playing at a high level they're just getting it done their defense has been solid and um you know justin jefferson is <laughs> an elite player i mean so uh you know they've got they've got a chance and then of course the cowboys um are looking really good really good with that defense and that offense is coming on and they run the ball well. And, yeah. They've um, still
0: got one of the eight best quarterbacks in the NFL. <laughs> Don't you forget it. <laughs> Eddie, they've got one of those really, really good quarterbacks. So yeah. even if the offense isn't as prolific as it's been the last few years, they still got that really good quarterback.
1: They do. And so it's wild, absolutely wild. Yeah. So, uh,
0: and then right, the, so the last two note. NFC playoff spots, they had to send someone. That's the other thing; they have to send someone for the last two spots.
1: Right. So, on a final note, let's have the Little Rock prediction. At this point, I'll give you mine. After. Are you talking Super- about for a Super Bowl? Yes. Who uh, Who makes it out of the AFC? Who makes it out of the NFC?
0: Well, I, I have a philosophy at this point, and it's uh, it's worked out pretty great so far. So why would I bail on it now? Always bet on red. Always, always bet on red. <laughs> even if it, even if the odds are stacked up slightly against them, always bet on red. So I'm going to yep. stick with the same team, Kansas City. It's going to be Kansas City through and through because. Don't bet against Kansas city. It's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. Statistically, we have evidence to prove that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen on the last game they played. They put up a graphic on Fox that said, uh, through their, through a quarterback's first 75 starts, Patrick Mahomes is number one in completions, number one in yards, number one in touchdowns, number one in quarterback rating across all of NFL history through a quarterback's first 75 starts. So, uh, Greatest quarterback I've ever seen, and the greatest offensive coach ever. I'll bet on Kansas City, and then uh, NFC. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about San Francisco still because uh, that team is that team is a great exception. They're not normal. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take San Francisco with literally no conviction at all. I have no idea who's <laughs> gonna win the NFC. So uh, I'll go. I'll go. What is that rematch from a few years ago? Kansas City and San
1: Francisco. Yep. Wow. Yep. My two are Buffalo. I think the Bills are going to get it done. Even though they lost Von Miller, that defense with Matt Milano, and they've got some pieces there that are, and their they're secondary is pretty good when healthy. Um, you know, so I'm going to go with Buffalo, and uh, and uh, over on the NFC side, I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to stick with the Eagles. So Buffalo-Eagles.
0: I think that Buffalo is the best team in the AFC. So I definitely agree with you. And this is the first time I feel like I can say that, which is other another part of the reason why I think it's so imperative for Buffalo to win this year, not just because – Allen and Diggs are no longer going to be on good values. It is right. This is the first year I can genuinely say you are better on paper than Kansas City. Like last year I know they almost won the game but I I would feel like Kansas City was better on paper. 2020 when they met in the AFC Championship game clearly Kansas City was Kansas City was in the midst of a 26 and 1 stretch so I think that was the peak of this Kansas City dynasty this is the first time I can say Buffalo's got a better team on paper than Kansas city. So I think I, I agree with you on Buffalo being the best team. I just, I can't bet against red. You got to always bet red because you're going to win way more often than you're going to lose.
1: <laughs> well, for me, it's too bad. It's not Cardinal red.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's uh it's, Cardinal red doesn't come up. It's a different it's a different shade of red. It doesn't come up as uh <laughs> doesn't it doesn't come up as uh as often as uh as the Kansas City red of uh no. of Mahomes and uh and and cuz I've realized that the the take of sorts that I have the most conviction on that I feel the most strong about is Kansas City is going to run the AFC West the way the Patriots did for 20 years. It's going to be 15 division titles in 16 years and uh we're on year seven. This year, they're going to win it for the seventh year in a row. So we're already uh, we're already halfway there, basically.
1: <laughs> if yeah. uh,
0: if Kansas City's going to steamroll everyone there, so uh, Kansas City might also be the home team in that game, which uh, they're already the first team if they were to play Buffalo in a theoretical AFC championship. So say it breaks down in such a way where uh, Burrow has to go to Buffalo in the in the second round. And, uh, and the Dolphins have to go to Kansas City and then say, theoretically, we get Buffalo and Kansas City in the AFC Championship. Uh, this would be the fifth year in a row Kansas City hosts the AFC Championship game, which uh, no one's ever hosted it four times in a row. Kansas City's already done it, so they'd just be expanding on their own record of hosting five consecutive AFC Championship games.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Buffalo gave up their home field advantage by uh, by throwing up those two games against the Dolphins and the and the Vikings.
1: <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. As always, being with the Little Rock on the Tie podcast, wherever you are, whenever you may be listening, wherever you may be.
0: <laughs> thank you for stopping in. And thank you, Walter. Always <laughs> enjoy talking football with you.
1: Same pal. Enjoy your weekend at Sacktown and um we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Talk to you, I guess Tuesday, because the Cardinal game's on Monday this week. That's right. Okay, Tuesday morning, same time. All righty. Talk to you then, Walter. Take care, pal. All right. Bye bye.